It's good to be here with you today. Um, a couple announcements. First one is that I want you to grab a pen or a pencil so you can take notes. Um, also, have your physical Bible ready so we can read uh, some passages together that I have for you. You can do that now. And the third announcement I have for you is that I want to say that I was very encouraged by those of you who gave your speeches on Friday during the speakers tournament. Um, I think it's hard to do public speaking. So I was blessed to hear you speak publicly about Jesus. And I was a judge. Um, for those of you who weren't, who weren't there, speakers tournament, it was here in this room and there's like a panel of judges right here. So I was sitting over here and then the speakers would come up and they would give their speech. Now, part of judging is that you have to make a decision. You have to say, okay, am I going to be like really mean or am I going to be kind of nice and encouraging? And so hopefully you guys know if you got my feedback and my notes that I was trying to be encouraging. Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to interact with you during that day. But when I was writing my notes, I hope you know that I wasn't trying to tear you down. I wasn't trying to belittle you or make you feel inferior. But I hopefully uh, was trying to build you up and encourage you to keep using your gifts, your speaking gifts, for God. Now, you can't see my heart for real. I could just be saying that, right? But I, I hope that you trust me and you know me enough that I'm genuine and trying to be honest with you. There are people with hidden intentions and evil agendas in this world. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Whether it's mass shootings or racial hate or sexual abuse, sometimes we don't know how it ends up, but we know how it begins. It begins in the heart. What hope is there? when we cannot see people's hidden intentions? And what good can come when we don't know the wicked hearts of man and they carry out their evil plans? God's people were not strangers to secret plots and plans. At this point in our journey through the book of John, the animosity between Jesus and the Jewish leaders had come to a breaking point. Even though Jesus was performing miracles, the Jewish leaders were blinded by their pride and unbelief. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. This was his most incredible, biggest miracle that he's ever done. And we're gonna see how the Jewish leaders respond. We're gonna see how God remains in control. We're going to see three movements today. They're like acts in a play. They're like movements in a drama. They're like the plot points in a story. So we're going to move the narrative along. And my goal is that you will see God's sovereign hand in the story, how God can control evil for good. And hopefully this moves you to worship. Our first point is the problem. Our first point is the problem. So I want you to write that down in your notes. The problem. And this is our passage today. I want you to read it on the screen with me. It says, 
Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So our first movement in this narrative is the problem. The Jews had a problem with Jesus's many miracles and his healing ministry. These miracles put the religious leaders at risk. With the resurrection of Lazarus, they were sure that this would be the start of a revolution. The people would make Jesus their revolutionary leader. The council that was gathered together, it's called the Sanhedrin. They were a Jewish council that the Romans put in place and allowed to rule. So you can see why the Sanhedrin were scared. They were concerned that Jesus would begin a revolution seeking to overthrow the Roman government. This would cause the Romans to come and take away their place of power and their need in the nation. Now look at how they say, if the Romans come, they will take away both our place and our nation. This is selfish ambition. This is pride. They're not wanting to give up their place and position of power. Are there areas in your life that you fear giving over to God? Are you afraid of losing power or status because of your commitment to Christ? You cannot hide your heart from God. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and man. And you cannot serve both God and yourself. Instead of allowing your heart to become cold and callous, learn to love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul, and all of your mind, and all of your strength. So our first point, our first movement in the story is the problem. Our second one is the prophecy, the prophecy. So write that down. Our second movement in the narrative is the prophecy. And we're going to read this together. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So our second movement in the narrative today is the prophecy. Now Caiaphas, he's the high priest, and he's been high priest for 18 years. That's a really long time to be in a position of privilege and power. He doesn't want to let it go. He doesn't want to give up his authority. He's so prideful, and he thinks that he's crafty. He thinks he's cunning. He's looking for an expedient way to exterminate Jesus. And so he hatches a plot. Again, under the guise of saving the people or the nation, he says that they should just put Jesus to death. He says that if Jesus dies, then they can save the nation. If they sacrifice one man, then they can save 
the nation. Do you hear the irony? Th these words of sacrifice and saving the nation, these are Christian words that we use on this side of the cross. But Caiaphas, he has no idea what he's saying. He's prophesying without even knowing that he's, that he's saying these things. Caiaphas had no idea. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah. He's saying in Isaiah, this is the prophecy. It says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Do you see how this prophecy is saying that Jesus will save the nation? That's exactly what Caiaphas said, but he had no idea what he was talking about. And Jesus spoke earlier in John, describing how the good shepherd would die to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Listen to this. It says, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And so in this passage in John, Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He was saying that by his death, he would gather all of God's people together. By his sacrifice, he would save God's people. That's exactly what Caiaphas said, but he did not mean that in the same way that Jesus meant it. It was a prophecy that he didn't mean to make. Now, on a superficial level, Caiaphas was making a political move. It was a hit job. But on a spiritual and on a supernatural level, this is a prophecy. Caiaphas had no idea what he was saying. It wasn't of his own accord, but he was telling a prophecy of Jesus's substitutionary atonement. Okay, substitutionary atonement. This is a theological word that says that Jesus would die for both Jews and Gentiles who believe and put their faith in him. For those who have here ears to hear, let them hear. It's a way of saying that if you understand what he's saying, then you'll hear that these words aren't just words for the wind. He's making prophecies, and they have different, significant spiritual meaning. Now, what is it specifically about Jesus's death that fulfills the promise of this prophecy? What is it exactly about Jesus dying that makes all of these things come true? The Apostle John, he emphasizes it in his epistle. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So you see that Jesus is gathering his sheep, the people that are scattered abroad, and this is exactly how the Apostle John understands it, that by Jesus' death, by his propitiation, he's saving people. Jesus is a propitiation for our sins, meaning he bore the wrath of God for us. God's wrath would be satisfied by the punishment of his son Jesus. And Jesus' sacrifice would be for the sins, not only for the Jewish believers, but for the Gentiles, for the body of believers around the world, for people like you and me today. We do not know who God has chosen to save. There are sheep who are scattered around this world. There are people who don't know God where you go. Jesus has given us the Great Commission. We must preach to everyone, taking every opportunity to share the good news.
And so our second point today was the prophecy, the prophecy. And we're going to go to our third and final point. It's the plot, the plot. This is the third point in our narrative. This is the thing that's going to move the story forward, the plot. And you're going to see what Caiaphas has in mind when he says that it's time to put Jesus to death. So from that day on, they made plans. They plotted to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So our third movement is the plot. This is what's moving the story forward. There was a conspiracy to kill Jesus. There's so much irony in how they went to the Passover and they were trying to purify themselves. But look at their motives. Their hearts were so unclean. They're so impure. They're going to kill Jesus and they're going to Passover where, you know, they're supposed to be cleansed from their sins. Their hearts were unclean. They had murderous intentions. Now Jesus, Jesus knows their hearts and Jesus knows their plan. Jesus sovereignly knew about their schemes. He knew about their secret meeting to put them to death, and he acted strategically. He no longer walks openly amongst people, but he gives himself up at the right time. Jesus is in control of when he goes to the cross. Now, back in John 10, Jesus said, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. So Jesus knows that these people are going to try to kill him, but he was saying, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I will lay down my life when I say it's time for me to go. And over here in, in Acts, the apostles preached that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So God had a plan, and he foreknew this even before any of this had occurred. We know that they weren't going to give Jesus a fair trial. They wanted to arrest him to kill him. They had made up their minds to murder him, and God knew this all along. I want you to know that nothing happens without the knowledge of God. God grants permission to everything that happens. This knowledge should free you to live a life not out of fear, but giving you the courage to live for Christ. You can trust him in trials and tragedies. You can truly give your life to him. You are safe from the schemes of man, and you are safe in the sovereign hand of God. When we look at these three movements that, that pushed our story forward, that was propelling the narrative of the problem, the prophecy, and the plot, these movements in the story, they ultimately show us that Jesus is sovereign over the schemes of man, and he gathers God's people by his death and resurrection. This is our big idea for today. Jesus is sovereign over the schemes of man, 
and he gathers God's people by his death and resurrection. God's sovereign hand was behind this story. He was writing something wonderful. He was authoring something awesome. When the wicked hearts of man carry out their evil plans, God will work it out for good. Trust his sovereign saving hand. Jesus is going to die for and save some of the Jews who would betray him. This was foreshadowed in the Old Testament story of Joseph. You might know this story. After being betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery, he would save them and he would forgive them. Look at what Joseph says at the end of his story. Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do you hear that? Do you hear what Joseph is saying? It sounds similar to what Jesus said. You meant evil against me, but God is working this out for good. This was Joseph's understanding, and it was proved to be true in Jesus Christ with his death and his resurrection. This makes Jesus the true and better Joseph, ultimately showing that God controls all evil for good. Now, this leads us to ask the question, does God care about pain and suffering in the world? Because Aaron, I know that you're saying that God is sovereign and in control. Jesus went to the cross and he was in control over all of that. But does God care that Jesus had to suffer? Does God care that when he's sovereignly controlling my life, does God care about the pain and the persecution that I go through? This is a question that, that you might have when you think about what we just talked about. It's easy to say that God is in control, but how do I know that he cares? The Apostle Paul has an answer for us today, and this is what he says. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let me read that again. He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things? This is an argument that the Apostle Paul is making. He's saying that, if Jesus, if God sent his son to die for us, then you can believe and you can be sure that God would give us all things. Infinitely valuable Jesus Christ, he would give up his life for us. You can be sure that God will in turn give you all things because of the value and the surpassing worth of Jesus. We know God cares for us by looking at the cross. Jesus' suffering on the cross, his sacrifice for our sins, is a guarantee that God loves us. And because God gave his son, we can be sure that God will be gracious to us. If you believe that Jesus, the son of God, died for your sins and resurrected again, you can be sure and certain 
that God will give you everything you need to persevere in this life, and not only in this life, but in the life to come. You will have eternal and abundant, everlasting life. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you, and he will keep you. There are many ways to apply this text today. You can trust God knowing that he is in total control over our situations and our circumstances. In trials and tragedies, will you trust him? If God is sovereign over the big things, surely he is sovereign over the small things. I want you to think about your college admissions. Yes, you can do all that you can to make the best grades and you can do all the extracurricular that you can, but at the end of the day, it's in the hands of your college admissions counselors. And there's a lot of good students out there who are super competitive. God is in control over where you go because he controls the hearts of those admissions counselors. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That's Proverbs 21.1. You can trust that God is going to take care of you from the big things in life and the small things as well. Next, I want you to look at the example of Jesus forgiving others who sinned against him. In the same way, you can forgive others who sin against you. We can forgive our friends and family, but Jesus calls us to even forgive our enemies. I want you to think about those who try to take advantage of you or get ahead of you, or those who try to embarrass you or belittle you. I want you to think about starting positions and getting first chair, and I want you to think about having the best grades and who's going to get the best letters of recommendation. There are some people who are out to get you and who will try to cut you down. <laughs> it's, it's not fair, but Jesus calls us to forgive. And he doesn't just forgive. Jesus takes actions to love. It's amazing that Jesus would go to the cross for sinners like you and me fully knowing that they planned evil against him. But God shows his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. And finally, I want you to look at the life of Paul, someone who experienced epic persecution. This guy, Paul, was put in prison for preaching the gospel. He did not see it as a hindrance to the gospel. Instead, he saw it as situations that can serve him to advance the gospel, to push the gospel message forward. I want you to think about where you end up going to college. I want you to think about if God has your family move for jobs. I want you to think about your future and how you won't always be around your same family and friends. God will call you to different life stages and situations in this life. Will you be aware and open to see where he has placed you and be able to push the gospels forward no matter your situation? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my imprisonment. It's for Christ. That's Philippians 1. 12 to 13. No matter your position 
or wherever God has placed you, you can take opportunities to advance the gospel and give glory to God. There are people with evil intentions and hidden agendas in this world. God's people, us as God's children, we should not be surprised when people have secret plots and plans. But what good can come when people have evil intentions against us? What good can come when people want to do harm to us? What good can come when people are out to get us? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 When the wicked hearts of man carry out their evil plans, God will work it out for good. Trust his sovereign, saving hand. There will come a day when evil plots and plans will be punished. Wicked hearts will face God's wrath. And the same hand that guided us all along, that walked through us in the wilderness, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21.4. Let's pray. From the smallest details to our biggest days, you're in control. You hold us safe. In the fleeting seconds and the passing years, you reign supreme. We shall not fear. For at the cross, your son did die. But when he rose, he brought new life. And there he proved so all would see over sin and death, you rule as king. And when the wicked hearts of man carry out their evil plans, God will work it out for good. Trust his sovereign, saving hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.